good morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Aaron Waltz, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And as always, I'm incredibly honored and thankful for the opportunity to speak with you. And if you don't mind, I just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. Hey, before I forget, I think the students need to be dismissed right now. And so let's give them some love and show them some support as they head off to their programming. Love you guys, absolutely love you guys. Well, I wanna start our time today by asking a challenging, a difficult, a controversial question. What do you consider to be the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Take a second and think about it first, just think about it, uh, because this has been a question that has been debated over centuries, uh, it has divided families, it has created a lot of controversy, so let's see if we can put that to rest today. Uh, as many of you know, not all Christmas movies are created equal, there are a lot of bad Christmas movies out there, and if you don't agree with me, all you need to do is turn on the Hallmark Channel, and you'll see some of the worst Christmas movies ever made. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you some pictures of some Christmas movies. I want you to make some noise if you agree that that is the greatest Christmas movie, or you can boo or give you a thumbs down if you don't agree, but we're going to do this rapid fire. Do you think that this is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Pretty good, it's a classic, It's a Wonderful Life, makes me cry at the end every time. Um, the next one, probably one that's becoming more and more of a favorite in people's households. Um, it might not be necessarily the favorite of the older generation, but it's definitely one that the kids are loving and that most of my generation loves, and it's this one. Is this the greatest Christmas movie of all time? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is to well done, guys. Well done. You are bringing it at the 9 a.m. Now, this next one came later in life to me. I didn't grow up watching it, uh, but it is funny. It's not necessarily one I'd watch with my kids, but it does bring a smile to my face. And we usually watch it while we're wrapping Christmas presents. Is this the greatest Christmas movie of all time? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, again, there's some moments in there that are a little, little uh, risque. But uh, and this next one, I am only obliged to mention, even though it's not technically a Christmas movie, but so many people think that it is. Is this the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Again, if you can't watch it with your kids, I don't think it can be considered the greatest Christmas movie of all time, and we have yet to watch Die Hard with our two girls. I'm gonna wait a couple more years for that. Um, I've actually determined for you, this is, a, this is a small gift I'm giving early on, I've actually determined the worst Christmas movie, okay? I'm gonna show you the worst Christmas movie ever made, okay? And it's this one right here. Yeah, you can boo me all you want. But every time that kid sticks his tongue on that pole and it gets frozen and he starts to cry and yell and his friends leave him, I go, this isn't Christmas, okay? It fills me with no Christmas cheer. If I never see that movie again, I will be a happy man. Now, again, let me also just bestow upon you some truth. Uh, I've actually determined for us the greatest Christmas movie ever made. I've already kind of figured it out, and so allow me to share that with you. The greatest Christmas movie ever made is 
the Muppet Christmas Carol, okay? It is the best, okay? It's got everything. It's got some great songs. It's got Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. It's got the Muppets singing and dancing and having a grand old time. And the best scene in the Muppet Christmas Carol, the best scene is when Ebenezer Scrooge visits his employee, Bob Cratchit's house, and Ebenezer Scrooge sees the Cratchit family celebrate Christmas. It's one of the most powerful moments in this movie because you see him looking at this family who is, you know, just stricken with poverty. They don't have a lot. They have a meager feast. One of the the family members, Tiny Tim, has this illness. And you can just see as Ebenezer Scrooge watches this family celebrate the love that they not only have for each other, but they celebrate Christmas with what they don't have. They celebrate all that they have with each other. And I love that scene because Ebenezer Scrooge just begins to slowly kind of realize how much he's been missing. Like his eyes are opened in that moment to go, oh my gosh, I've completely missed it. I've completely missed out on what life really is and I've completely missed out on what Christmas is. And in his apathy and in his greed and his callous heart that he has, he begins to realize that there is something so much better. Now, most of us, sadly, as we walk through this holiday season, we can find ourselves in a similar position to Ebenezer Scrooge, and we can have kind of a bah humbug attitude towards this holiday season. I mean, think about it. We're in the nice spot right now, right? Like right at the beginning of the season, the snow's coming down, we're all excited. But in a couple weeks, things are going to get stressful because we're going to just run ourselves ragged trying to do everything, trying to see everyone, trying to find that perfect gift, you know, walking and kind of riding that roller coaster of emotions that can sometimes be our family that we oblige to see during the Christmas season. And we can get so exhausted that before we even get to December 25th, we're just ready for it to be over. And we can't wait for December 26th when we can finally relax and catch our breath and go back to our normal life. And the Christmas season is also really hard and challenging. And I want to say this with as much sensitivity as I can, that for a lot of us in this room, Christmas is just a reminder of the loss and the grief that we have because of a loved one that is no longer with us. And so this holiday is challenging. It's difficult, and we can miss out so much. And so the question has to be asked, is there more to Christmas than the headache than the heartbreak and the chaos that we've allowed it to become. And I'm here to tell you, yes, there is something so much better. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at just one verse found in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that you'll ever read a beautiful promise uh, for us to understand, for us to wrestle through, for us to try to figure out what it's trying to say to help us understand how can we celebrate Christmas better. Now, for those of you who haven't spent much time in the book of Isaiah, it is a challenging book to read. So let me give you a quick summary. The idea is we have the prophet Isaiah, who has been appointed by God to speak to the nations of Judah and Jerusalem, basically God's people, God's kingdom, right, that have been divided at this point, and uh, they're not in a good place. And so what Isaiah is supposed to do is go and speak to the nation, go speak to these rulers, and he's trying his best to help them understand that their rebellion 
that the sin that they've allowed into their life and into their kingdom, that the idolatry and the corruption that is taking place in this kingdom, it's going to come at a cost. And as hard as that is to talk about in this Christmas season, that's kind of the reality, that there is sin, that there is rebellion, and there is a cost when we as humanity allow that to flourish. And so what's going to happen for the nation of Israel is they're going to get conquered over and over and over again. They're going to get exiled, taken out of their home, and taken and enslaved in a foreign land, and they're going to experience an incredible amount of suffering for hundreds of of years. And Isaiah is pleading with them to understand, to repent, to turn from their ways, and to trust in the God of the universe. Now, again, it's a hard book, it's a difficult book, it's a challenging book, but thankfully, all throughout the book of Isaiah, you see a sprinkling in the midst of the 66 chapters of doom and gloom. We see a beautiful and incredible reminder of hope. We see a beautiful reminder that even in the darkest of moments, And even in the lack of repentance that we show as humanity, that God has promised a savior, a Messiah that will come and rescue us. And so Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, allow me to read this for you today. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And someone gave me an amen on that. Over these next several weeks, we're going to take each and every one of these titles that's been given to this child, to this son, to this promise, to this Messiah, and we're going to try to figure out what it's saying. What does it mean, not only for the people of Israel, but for us today? Because we believe that each and every one of these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace is a declaration of the character of God, and it's the declaration of the character and the heart of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, every so often, especially when things get busy and things get crazy in our life, and as we head into a busy season like Christmas, we have to stop and just remind ourselves of truth. We have to silence the noise around us. to to not be distracted by what's in front of us with all of the chaos of this world and just be reminded of who God is and how he has shown himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and allow that truth to actually impact how we live, how we think, how we go about this world. And so today, we're going to look at just one of these titles, one of these ideas, and we're going to look at this idea of mighty God. Now, if you break down the translation of this, if you look at the Hebrew word, which is gabor, or uh, roughly translated that way, here's what it means. Mighty God means strength, means power, means a divine warrior, means a hero or a champion. Elsewhere in scripture, you see this same word described to talk about someone who is valiant in battle. So someone who is powerful and strong, and if they find themselves in a fight, that they are the ones that are going to be coming victorious in that moment. They are not someone that you want to mess with. So when the people of God, when the nation of Israel heard this, their hearts leaped 
for joy. They were so incredibly excited because this was finally going to be the answer to their prayer. This was going to help them solve this problem that they found themselves in, in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of all the chaos that was taking place with the exile and the conquering and the suffering. They were so incredibly excited because for so long, they've been waiting for God to show up, be their hero, be their champion, and solve all of their problems. The funny thing is, they never expected, nor did they ever think in all this time, all this wonderment and excitement, that their Savior, that their hope, and that this mighty God was going to be born in a stable, was going to be surrounded by livestock, was going to be born to a poor, disgraced family that had no power, that had no authority, that had no wealth, and they had no army behind them. See, this is why the disciples in the Gospels struggled so much with Jesus. Have you ever read through the Gospels and gone, why don't these disciples get it? Why are they having such a difficult time? It's because what they expected their Messiah and Savior to be was a military general. And he was going to bring with them a military conquest. And he was going to have all the forces of the heavens come down. And he was going to lead the war that would end all wars. And this Messiah, this hope, this Savior was going to deliver them from their suffering, was going to destroy and obliterate all of their enemies and reestablish their kingdom. They were finally going to be able to go back to the way things were when their kingdom was as strong as all the other kingdoms in the world, that they were going to have their powerful castle back up and everything was going to finally be right. And instead, they got a street preacher who talked about an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that did not follow the rules of this world, that did not look the way anybody thought it would, and that this kingdom instructed and commanded its followers to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecuted against them. This kingdom that said, you are blessed if you are poor in spirit. You are blessed if you are mourning and if you are suffering and if you are struggling, you are blessed if you are meek and humble and gentle. They expected one thing and they got something so much better because they got Jesus Christ. I believe that there's someone in this room today or watching online that needs to hear this truth, that Jesus Christ is your mighty God. That as you walk through the challenges of this life, the difficulties that this life can bring, the insurmountable challenges that you are facing, or if you are wrestling with the fear and the anxiety of what's going on in your life or what's going on in this world, or if you're experiencing pain and suffering and hurt, you need to be reminded and to claim this truth. Jesus Christ is your mighty God. He is your hero. He is your champion. He is your defender, and he will never ever lose, and he will never forsake you. And so as you wrestle through this and as you consider this, I got a couple things I want you to consider, a couple things I want you to, to look through as we try to figure out, is Jesus in fact our mighty God? And the first one, the first challenge I want to consider you uh, to, to navigate through today is this. Jesus is the hero of our story. 
Amen. Last time I preached, I spoke on gratitude and how gratitude and an attitude of thankfulness can actually lead us to encounter Jesus Christ and experience holistic healing. And that gratitude, when it's mature, leads us to praise and worship. Not just the words that we speak or the songs that we sing, but the, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we use our resources. All of that is an act of praise that leads us to encounter Jesus Christ. But do you guys remember the first step that every single one of us needs to take that all of us can learn from in order to get to a posture of gratitude. Anybody remember that first step was? Humility. Humility is that idea, that posture, that choice to say Jesus is the hero of our story, not me. I am not the hero of my story, not all my accomplishments, not all the things that I've done, not my wisdom, not not my efforts, but Jesus is the one. He is the one that I can give all the credit and praise to, all the thanks to, because without him, I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing without the God of this universe. I love how in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, says it better than I'm saying it. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Maybe this is the truth that you need to consider today, that you need to be reminded of, that God so loved this world, and God so loved each and every one of you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a human baby, to be born into poverty, to be born to this poor, disgraced family so that he could live the life that we are living. And as he lived his life, he chose to live a different way, a better way. And in that love that he had for us, what did he do? He laid his life down And he sacrificed himself and he experienced a sinner and a criminal's death. He paid the penalty for our rebellion, for our sin, for our mistakes, so that we would not have to experience that, but he took it fully on himself and he died. And then he was buried. And then three days later, what happened? He rose again. He conquered death to tell the whole world that there is no power greater than that that comes from the God of the universe, that there is no power greater than Jesus Christ. And that in that resurrection, what did he then invite us who call him our Lord and Savior? He invited us into a resurrected life with him, one that through the Holy Spirit's empowerment can give us the things, aspects of his character, blessings that only come from God so that we can live a life better than this life if we were on our own, that we are not defined by the circumstances or the chaos or the sin or the darkness, that we are given a life blessed with the presence of God, Jesus in our heart and the Holy Spirit's anointing. Maybe you need to consider that truth today. If you have yet to give your life to Jesus, to accept his free gift of grace, I would implore you, I would beg you, I would ask you, consider inviting Jesus Christ into your life today. So that, as Ephesians says, you can do the good things he has planned. That you have a part that you can play in this world. 
that you have a part you can play to care for those around us. But there's a key that we have to figure out before we can get there, and it's this next point that I want you to consider. Jesus is the only source of true and authentic strength. Now, let me ask you a random question. It's going to seem kind of weird. Where do you get your strength to face each day? Take a second and think about this. Like this life that we're living is not easy. It is challenging and difficult. And we have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things that we have to do. So where do you tap into every single day? When you wake up, what do you do to get through each day? Is it coffee? (laughs) Is it a good hearty meal? Is it just you say to yourself, it's just me. I got to figure this out on my own. Like where do you get your strength to face all the difficulties that each day will bring? And I'm here to stand in front of you to say this, that the only reason I'm able to stand in front of you today is because the source of my strength only comes from Jesus Christ, from his indwelling in my life and my ability to surrender all that I have to him. Now, here's the weird upside down kingdom principle that we need to understand if we're going to be used for the good things that he planned that Paul talked about in Ephesians. We need to admit and be okay letting everybody know that we are weak, that we are limited, that we don't have it all figured out, and we can't do this on our own. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 says it, again, better than I'm saying it. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if there's one lesson that I've learned really well in my life, it's I am weak, okay? If there's one faith lesson that I've got down pat is that I am weak, I am limited, and I make a lot of mistakes, And I want to share with you a story that helps illustrate that. And I've shared this a while ago, but it's been a while, but it feels appropriate to share today. Uh, When I graduated from college, one of the things I was trying to do was I wanted to figure out the rest of my life. I was like, what do I need to do to kind of figure out what to do next, right? And I said, well, one of the things I could probably do is probably get into shape, right? Because this wasn't looking so great, okay, post-college, and I needed to figure this out. And so I asked my brother-in-law to give me a workout uh, regimen, and he gave me kind of a workout routine, which I went for, and uh, I did that, and I, so I joined the gym, 24-hour fitness, you know, off of Sunnybrook, off there, and I said, I'm going to get myself in shape, but there was one workout that I refused to do, and that was the bench press, because that just scared the bejeebas out of me right there. I was like, I've seen the men and the women that sit down on that thing, and I'm like, I could never do that. So I avoided it. I didn't want to do it. But one night as I was working out, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muster up some courage here, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the bench press. So I went over and I laid down on the bench press and I didn't put any weight on the bar because I didn't want to embarrass myself. Okay, I was like, I'm just going to start slow here. We're just going to slowly work my way up to it. So I took the bar and I just started uh, to bench press. And I'm like, okay. This isn't so bad, okay? This is going pretty good. Like, I felt myself getting stronger and stronger (laughs) as I was benching that bar, and I was really getting excited. But I think I got a little overzealous, 
and I got a little overexcited, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but my muscles got to the point where they were basically like, uh, uh, Aaron, uh, we're done. Uh, we've got nothing else left, so we're going to go, and it's just you. Let us know how this works out. Because I, I got to the point where I couldn't lift the bar <laughs> off my chest, and it was just laying, sitting there, and I'm like, what am I going to do? At one point, a guy walked by me, and I even said, little help? <laughs> he looked at me, he looked at the bar, and he said, are you kidding? And he walked away. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, all right, all right, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. So I had two choices. I could, uh, I could roll the, the bar south, right? I could roll the bar south and then deal with the consequence of that choice. <laughs> or I could roll the bar north and deal with the consequence of that choice. So I, I chose the lesser of two evils. And so I began to roll the bar north. And so the bar went like this. And then eventually it went like this over my face and over my eyes over my head, and then I lifted it over my head, and I sprang up, and the bar hit the bench, and the bar then hit the ground, and everyone was looking at me, and I was shaking like this. I said, hey, how are you doing? I grabbed my towel, and I wiped down my bench, because that's the appropriate thing to do. Took my water bottle, I took a little sip, and I left the gym, and I got in my car, and I drove away, and I never came back. So I have no problem telling you and making a public testimony right now. I am weak. I am limited. I have made a lot of mistakes. But here's the truth, church. All God has ever wanted from us, all God has ever wanted of us in this journey of faith, as we try to figure out all of these truths and principles that he preaches through his son, Jesus Christ, all he has ever wanted from us is the ability for us to accept our limited ability, for us to recognize that Jesus is the hero of this story and that our source of strength only comes from Jesus Christ and for us to surrender and trust to his unlimited capability because we believe in a God who is stronger than any force, any darkness, any sin in this world, and nothing compares to the name and the power and the promise of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if we believe this, and if we try to strive in this attitude, and again, we're not always going to get it figured out, I believe this leads us to then the third and the harder challenge for us to consider today that Jesus is our great defender, even in the midst of our great suffering. Some of the most powerful passages of scripture can be found in John chapter 14 through 17, the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before he is crucified, before he is about to leave them. And you see some amazing scripture, some amazing truth and encouragement because Jesus loved his disciples. And he wanted to help them before things got rough. So he speaks these words to his disciples in John 16, verse 20. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what's going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. 
Pastor Jeff talked about this last week when he spoke about Thanksgiving and spoke about gratitude and how happiness is contingent on our circumstances. Good circumstances make us happy. Bad circumstances make us sad. But joy, joy is a gift that we are given when we are in the presence of God. When we abide in a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, he gives us something that we cannot give ourselves, the ability to celebrate, the ability to trust, the ability to be okay, even when the circumstances of our life do not afford us that ability, because that's the gift that we get through God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And hear me when I say this, the strength of God and the power of Jesus's presence in our life is not contingent on outside circumstances, or on the way we prefer our circumstances to be. That we can be in a difficult, challenging moment, and God can still be our mighty God. That Jesus can still be our defender. The hard does not take away the truth that there is a God that loves us, that is with us, that is Emmanuel, God with us even in our suffering. I want to tell you a, a story um, a couple months ago, a family in our community that's been connected to our church reached out and um, asked if we could put on a memorial service for their 16-year-old daughter who died of brain cancer. Uh, her name is Cameron Jenkins. Here's a picture of her. Now, when I heard about this, my heart just broke, and I, I couldn't even fathom what to say what to convey, what encouragement could I offer this family if they've had to deal with the death of their 16-year-old daughter to this horrible, horrible circumstance? And so as we sat down with this family and we began to plan out this memorial service, I was blown away, completely and totally blown away by this girl's story, this 16-year-old girl's story, not just of life, but of faith. I mean, she just lived on a different plane. Her mom and dad and her family explained to me that she was someone full of such incredible joy, that the circumstances of the cancer treatment that she went through and the challenges that she was facing did not stop her from being able to celebrate every single day, that she had a peace that surpassed any and all understanding that I could even fathom that she was full of such love that everybody that knew her loved her and she was an encouragement to everybody else in her life even as she was going through her treatment. She got to the point when she was going through all this that she was so excited. She was so excited to finally be in a blessed eternity with her heavenly father and that she felt bad for everybody else who had to stay here. We had to continue to figure this out. She gave specific instructions for her memorial service that she wanted it to be a testimony to the fact that her God did not fail her because she loved Jesus. She spent time every day in the word. She spent time every day in prayer. She spent time every day worshiping God, not just in worship music, but in the life that she lived. And she wanted everyone to know that she did not lose her battle to cancer. That she believes and the family believes and I believe that she left on her own 
accord, that she was ready to be welcomed in to the presence of her Savior. And she went with a joy and a smile and a gladness and that she wanted her testimony then to forever to be, give God a chance. Consider to come to know his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can come to know the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Now hear me, church. I speak to this with a lot of sensitivity and respect, especially if you are walking through a similar story. If you've had family members that have walked through similar things. My wife, uh, her, her mom died of cancer, and so I have a high respect. Um, she actually died the same thing that Cameron died of, and so I don't mean to say this uh, just easily. I don't mean to say this without uh, love and, and understanding because there are still so many questions that I have and frustration and anger and sadness for anybody that's had to walk through cancer. All I'm doing is trying to continue to share a testimony of a 16-year-old girl who loved Jesus. A 16-year-old girl who will forever make an impact on my life because she celebrated and claimed the truth that Jesus was the hero of her story. That her source of strength only came from the fact that Jesus Christ dwelled in her heart every single day. And that even in her great suffering, Jesus was her defender. And I want to thank the family who has continued to give me permission to share her story. Shannon and Nick, I thank you for allowing me to know Cameron, to have walked this journey with you, and to continually tell her story that Jesus Christ is and forever will be her and mine and our mighty God. So as we walk through this Christmas season with its headache, with its heartbreak, with the chaos and the challenge, all I want to do is give us an opportunity as a church to claim this truth that Jesus is your mighty God, that he is the hero of your story, that he is the source of any and all strength. And if you are walking through suffering, if you're experiencing the challenges that seem insurmountable, I want you to know that Jesus is your defender. And so as we end our time, I've asked the worship team to lead us in one more song. And it's the song, I Speak Jesus. And this is the line that gets me every time when I sing this and when I worship to this. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the darkness, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. So church, I want us to spend some time speaking the name of Jesus. What's the one thing this world needs? What's the one thing our community needs? What's the one thing our families need? What's the one thing that every single person in this room needs? It's Jesus. So let us speak the name of Jesus together today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time. And I just give you all the glory and praise. And Lord, in an attitude of praise and worship, oh, Lord, I'm just so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to forgive me of my sins so that I may discover a resurrected life with you. And so, Lord, together as one church, all we want to do is speak the name of Jesus over the darkness, over the suffering, over the challenges. Lord, let us be reminded that you are our mighty God. 
and let us believe and claim that truth today. In your name we pray, amen.